You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Awesome. Well, um, my name's Pete. If we haven't met, it's an honor to be able to have you here. If you're checking in online and you're just kind of wondering, what's this, what's this guy like? Well, it's an honor to have you. And I wonder if you've ever had the experience where um, you've heard a song and a particular song has met you right where you're at. Um, it might have been a Christian song, it might have been a non-Christian song, it might have even been Bob Marley. I know his songs have met me on many occasions at, just at the right time. And I, I just, yeah, I won't go into any details about what particular song it was. It's a good song, though. And I believe it does bring glory to God in part, in part. It's not all of it, but part of it certainly does. But that particular song met you, and it kind of caught you right at the right time. It's almost like it gave you words for a particular feeling or a particular thing you were going through that you didn't quite have the words yourself to say. But that song met you at that time. That's part of the reason why we've called this series Playlist, because the book of Psalms has been doing that for thousands of years. It's putting words to, to human prayers that the psalmist have prayed to God. And so we can say when we're in our darkest of times or when we're in a time of jubilation or whatever uh, season we're going through, we can pick up one of these psalms when we don't have the words to say and we can use somebody else's words to God and we can be blessed by it. So there are 150 psalms in the book of Psalms, but we're just going to look at one this morning. Now, you may have experienced this as well. Um, this is a this is a experience that's common, I think, to pastors and to people who speak. And that is the experience of God forcing you to live out your message the week before you're supposed to give it. And so I had the misfortune, no, I won't say misfortune, I've had the honor of preaching on Thanksgiving today. And I have to say, God's taken me on something of a Thanksgiving journey this week. You know, this week, our family has, it's been a, it's been a tough week. We had an accident, uh, which our nearly one-year-old ended up spending a couple of nights in hospital with his mom, and, um, and that has been really hard. That has been hard because you don't necessarily get prepared for the moment when the season you're in just dramatically changes. And so we, Caleb, was in a hospital. Now he's in a cast for the next six weeks, and I was at home with Joel and Hudson, and so it's been a week for us. And the thing that is uh, challenging, but probably a little bit funny in some ways, is that weeks ago, we planned in our church calendar that the 21st of May would be a day I preached on thankfulness, <laughs> on thankfulness. And uh, so, yeah, that's what you're going to get today. You're going to get the discipline of thankfulness that's been born out of a week that could have been much, much better. Um, one of the problems I want to address with you today, and you might say, Pete, I don't suffer from this. I want to respectfully disagree with you. I think we all do, is the drift towards entitlement. The drift in our lives towards entitlement. We tend to think that as humans, we're entitled to certain things. We're entitled to good health. We might think that we're entitled to a strong financial situation. We might think we're entitled to obedient children or just general happiness in life. And we, we think that we're entitled to these things. 
You might say, well, Pete, that's not me. I'm, I'm not a person of entitlement. Or I just want just to ask you this question then. When you miss out on one of those things, do you experience anger? Do you experience disappointment? Do you experience uh, a sense, perhaps for some, might be even a sense of shame that other people have those things and you don't in your life? We all experience this drift towards entitlement. And the reason we know that is because when those things disappear, we don't necessarily respond positively. We struggle. So for us as a family, I wouldn't a week ago have said that I feel entitled to a good, uh, healthy family, except when it was taken away from me and suddenly I'm struggling and thinking like, what's up with this God? What is the situation? And in reality, I know logically that health within a family is something that just comes and goes. You can't expect it to be at your peak for the whole time. It's just simply logic. But I didn't experience, I didn't understand that actually there was entitlement there. And I want to share this with you because the solution to this drift in our thinking towards entitlement, the solution is thankfulness. The solution is gratitude. You know, thankfulness is an incredibly powerful force for good in your life. If you can harness gratitude, it will change your life. You know, Charles Stanley, the pastor, says this, Gratitude produces deep, abiding joy because we know that God is working in us even through difficulties. Stanley says that, that gratitude actually produces joy. That's incredible. It produces joy, and it produces joy. So gratitude is not just looking at your life and seeing the joy and kind of experiencing gratefulness because of the joy that already exists in your life. Actually, it's saying, no, gratitude produces joy. If you want joy in your life, if you want more joy in your life, you can start by being thankful. If you want to live a happy life, you cultivate gratitude. Now, Berkeley University was interested in this effect. And uh, they were interested, they understood that, that, that happy people were often grateful people, and they understood that, but they wanted to take it even further and say, we're not interested in people who have a high degree of happiness and are grateful for it. We're interested in people who are really struggling and the role that gratitude might take in their life. So they did this study on 300 university students, some of them they led through a activity and gratefulness and gratitude, and others they didn't. They found that after one month uh, and three months, so medium term and longer term, that the, uh, those that cultivated, a, did this activity and gratitude experienced much better mental health outcomes than the ones who didn't. The difference was significant. Their physical circumstances had not changed, but their general happiness and joy in their life had changed. It to, all, all of that says that the solution to the drift towards entitlement is thankfulness. This entitlement thing in Psalm chapter 30, King David kind of describes it, describes it for us when he says this. He says this in verses 6 and 7 of the psalm we're going to look at today. King David says, When I felt secure, I said... I will never be shaken. That's famous last words for anybody who's got some kind of experience in life. Lord, when you 
favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. King David saying when life was great, when he felt secure, when he sensed that God was like breathing on his life and he felt like the Lord was blessing him each day and his, he could easily see these mercies that were new every morning when everything was great, he imagined that he could never be shaken from that place. But he goes on to say that actually this attitude is it's not realistic. It's not realistic. This is what verse 7b and 8, second half of verse 7 says this. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called, and I cried out for mercy. You know, the Bible does not say that God uh, is absent. He says that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. But David is describing this feeling, saying, oh, perhaps, although I know, God, you're omnipresent and you're everywhere at once and you're all-powerful, there is this portion of my life where I'm not actually experiencing in my emotional core the sense that you are all-powerful in this area. It's almost like, God, you've hidden your face from me. This is how he explains the depth of his uh, feeling. He was strong, and then he pictured nothing could change until something changed. Something changed. I wonder if you can relate like me in this last week. In fact, just this last week, about 10 days ago, I said to Sarah, I said, uh, I feel like finally we're coming out of the woods with this like family thing, and, and things are settling down, and finances are on the improve, and everything's great, and, and then everything was great until everything is not great. And Psalms of Thanksgiving, they put words to the situation that we find ourselves in when we struggle. You know, Thanksgiving sometimes flows naturally out of your heart. You're aware of the blessings that are around you, and, and you praise God. And, and, and in those times, it's natural to feel thankful. And there are other times where it's not natural to feel thankful. And in those moments... One of the things that can really help us is when we pick up a prayer that somebody else has written and we discipline ourselves to pray the same words they prayed. We might not feel it, but we do it. We do it and we do it and we do it until something shifts. And that's the psalm of thanksgiving. That's this category. You know, there are three key stages. I want to just talk you through them. So when you face uh, find another psalm that fits this pattern, you'll be able to think, oh, great, this is, this is awesome. This is what we talked about. This must be a Thanksgiving psalm. Thanksgiving psalms have three stages. The first one talks about how life was viewed before their distress. Like the scripture we said in verse 6, where it says, where I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. David is saying, listen, I've, I've found myself in this place where everything is safe and secure. It was great. And then the second stage is that it's after uh, the psalmist has illustrated what life was like before the distress, the psalmist says, okay, here's what it was like during the distress. Here's what the distress was like. Here comes the realization that the next challenge has arrived. There was no warning, and then bam, here it is. This is what it says in verse 9 and 10. David writes, what is to be gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. 
love that phrase, uh, what is to be gained if I am silenced? It's almost like David is saying, I can't see what is to be gained here. I understand that, Lord, you're a Lord of love, and that at some point you will bring good out of this, but I can't see it. I, I can't see what's to be gained here. I can't see what good could possibly come of this situation. If I'm reduced to dust, who will praise you? If my life does not display your goodness and your victory, then, then what is this all for? And, and part of understanding that there are moments of distress in the Psalms is really helpful for us because you might turn looking for an encouragement to the book of Psalms and you might come across a scripture like this, which just seems really dark. But you need to know that it's a, it's a phase, a psalm of thanksgiving has this as a phase, and they don't finish uh, with this sentiment. They lead you out of this into a place of praise. And this is what it says in the afterwards, the, the, third, the third phase. This is what it says. Uh, psalm 30, verses 11 to 12. This is the after phase. He says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. You know, this is like a disciplined moment of thankfulness. I sometimes, perhaps I'm reading into this too much, but to me, this, these statements feel like God has not yet broken through in the area of his distress, yet. But he's saying, this is the way I would read it, he's saying, there have been times in my life where you did turn my wailing into dancing. There have been times in my life when I had nothing and you blessed me. When I needed someone to speak to me and you put me next to that person on the bus who encouraged me. There were times in my life, and I will call them to mind now because there were times when you turned my wailing into dancing. There have been times in my life when you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. And even though I'm in the middle of my distress, I will declare that, God, what you did in the past, you will do again in the name of Jesus. I will expect that this too shall pass. This time of trial that I'm in will also pass, and my wailing will turn into dancing. And I will thank you, God, in the present, in full expectation of what will come in the future. And you can say these words, whether you believe them or not. You can say them, and you can pray them until you do. David kind of summarizes the, the heart of this in verse 5 where he says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. I wonder if you've ever met so, uh, somebody who's full of joy and happiness who has a lot less than you, materially. You know, in my younger years, I, I traveled extensively, relatively extensively, and um, I went to some third world countries. I spent two months in, um, in a little backward backwater village in Pakistan, and uh, my neighbor there was a laborer. He's a really good man, but, but in Pakistani society, there's an order, uh, there's a pecking order, a very real caste system, a, a watered-down caste system. It's not quite the hardcore Hindu one, it's, but it is there um, in that Muslim society. And uh, he was towards the bottom of the ranks because he was a Hindu and because he was a laborer. 
And uh, he had to work seven days a week to keep his job. He worked around 360 days a year. So he'd have a handful of days off for Islamic um, holidays. He was a Christian, but came from a Hindu family. And um, so that's kind of two strikes on your card in that society. But he was content and happy. He carried himself with authority, with grace and with dignity. Because I believe that thankfulness was one of the hallmarks of his life. You spend time with somebody like that and you think, you're happier than me and you've got so much less than me. I must be doing something quite wrong. So here are some things that you can thank God for. You can always be grateful for no matter what situation you're called into. No matter what your situation says to you, here are some things that you can discipline yourself to praise God for. And the first one is this, for answered prayers. For answered prayers. Now what you're not saying is thank you, God, that you've answered this prayer that is the cause of my distress. It's not... It's, it's not that God has, has suddenly flung wide the gates of yes and pain no longer exists in your life. It's simply saying that there has been some occasions in your past where God reached down from heaven and answered your prayers. And for that, you can be thankful. Call to mind that, that moment when you needed peace and peace just flooded your life in your heart. You can thank God for his ongoing provision that when you prayed, he answered. You can call to mind all of the times when you prayed and God met you and God answered your prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard that old song, count your blessings. You know, count your blessings, name them one by one, and then you'll be surprised to see what God has done. Call them to mind. You can praise God for your answered prayers. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12 talks about this. Uh, the psalmist says, Yeah, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Like I'm choosing to remember the things that God has done. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. Other people may have forgotten, but I will remember them. I will consider your, all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. You know, when I, I started out in ministry, I was asked to preach about miracles uh, at this particular church service. And I don't know if it was just me, but a lot of the times I'd, he I'd heard people preach on miracles, they always came to the front with these incredible stories. And my initial thought was, I'm not sure what kind of stories I'm going to be able to tell. I'm not sure what kind of miracles God has done in my life. And then I began to prepare, and the Lord started bringing to mind all of the things that He'd answered. All of the things where he, he, he came down from heaven and he saw my situation and he rescued me from the hands of my trouble. There were so many stories and, and experience that just flooded this message. And I realized that, that God answers prayer. God answers prayer. There's so many times when God has breathed life into your world. Call them to mind and be grateful. Be thankful. Second thought is that no matter what situation you're going through, that you can praise God for restored situations. Not that the situation that's causing you pain has already been restored, but there has been occasions in your world when God restored your situation, restored your family. 
in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praying and he says this about what the church should be. Uh, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says, We're to be uh, giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. No matter what you're going through, Paul is saying that God has qualified you to share in his glory. He's welcomed you into his family. For he has rescued us, verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We give thanks because we were once in darkness and God saw us and welcomed us into his family with open arms. No matter how present your material blessings are in your life at this point, the fact remains that he has grafted you into the family of God into his kingdom. So how has God restored a part of your life? Maybe just call that to mind right now. Perhaps you're not as lonely as you once were because God has been a friend to you each day. Perhaps at some point in your life, your job prospects turned around because of what God led you into. Perhaps you found a community of people or even just one or two people, and although they're flawed, you've found people to stand with you because of the things that God, areas in which God has led you. Perhaps God has led you out of an addictive behavior or a destructive habit. He's restored a part of your life. You know, my father went to Otago University in, um, in the 70s. Uh, he met some Christians at university, and through their witness, he gave his life to Christ. Now, our family is built on a foundation of faith, primarily because of what God did in Dad's life in the 1970s at Otago University. He restored family lines. And I can always be grateful that my children growing up will have faith modeled to them by somebody whose life was radically changed by the love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Psalms encourage us that life is seldom easy, but we can always be thankful for what God has restored. He has restored parts of our lives. Finally, to kind of break out of this drift towards entitlement, we can always be thankful for Jesus. These are things that don't depend on our situations. These are things that are eternal. We can be thankful for Jesus. You know, the letter to the Thessalonians, you, you may or may not know this, but it was written when they're going through a time of intense suffering. Many of them, their suffering was uh, brought on by the fact that they had recently become Christians. As suffering for the name of Christ, maybe life seemed easier before they became Christians. And this is what Paul says to them in, in chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, bearing in mind that when Paul says all circumstances, there is a picture in his mind that includes hardship, death, financial ruin, list them, the, the lot. All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. No matter what, we can always give thanks for Christ. You know, there's a, um, 
a fellow called Dr. Hermos Sharia, and he, he writes this article on, on why are persecuted Christians so grateful, so thankful. Now he, his, his background, Shariat's background, is in the Iranian church, and he says this about what he observes in his home nation. He says, in Islamic countries, there is such spiritual darkness. People often live with cruelty, judgment, and death as the expected norms. This kind of dark environment creates such hopelessness in people that Muslims who become Christians experience major change and joy. From hatred to love, from hopelessness to hope, from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom. This extreme change from darkness to light creates a great appreciation, a great thankfulness for the one who has brought about that change. We can always be thankful for Jesus. There are a million reasons to be thankful for Jesus. We can thank, be thankful because he knows what it is like to suffer and be misunderstood. I can't think of a more misunderstood character in history. One who is literally being nailed to the cross by people who have no idea what he's doing. Even at the height of his ministry, people thought he was all kinds of things, but not a sacrificial son of God. We can be thankful that he never leaves us, that he's left us with his spirit, that he has blessed us in so many ways and given us everything we need for each day, that he has looked down from heaven and considered that our lives was worth the life of his own when he died on the cross. C.S. Lewis says that if, if, if you were the only person for whom Christ died, he still would have done it. And on and on it goes. All of the many reasons we can be thankful for Jesus. So as we close today, and I'm going to just invite the band to come. I want to just get a little bit strict this morning, if I'm allowed. There is a way of thinking that I want to challenge, a path that only leads to disappointment, a pathway in our minds that only leads to wasted energy, and if we give it the space, we'll take all the rest of the li our lives. It will lead to a wasted life. And that way of thinking is this. When I have dot, 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 when I have fill in the blanks, I will be satisfied. Now, the reason that is so pervasive is because it places your thankfulness in the future. It says, I'll be thankful when that thing happens to me. I will be grateful when that thing happens to me. I will be satisfied and I will live a life that is, that is happy and joy-filled when that thing happens to me. And the problem is, folks, that things normally don't actually end up happening because that it's like a carrot on a stick. It just continues to be ahead of us. To which I will remind you and myself about my neighbor in Pakistan who seemed so much happier than myself and most people I know working 360 days a year. 
The problem is, is that when we're hungering after something we do not have, we cannot be truly thankful for what we do have when we have so much. The solution to entitlement is thankfulness. God sees us and he knows that we struggle with this. I don't want this to be a condemning thought or to kind of trigger guilt in you. I want it to lead us to to doing something practical. So if you're here and you're, you're struggling with gratefulness because of the depth of pain that you're going through right now, I'm not here to minimize that pain, but what I am here to do is, would you do me a favor and just, in your own time, would you repeat the words of the psalm? You might repeat them and not believe them. It's okay, repeat them anyway. Pray them anyway. You might, you might pray them and actually only really deeply mean half a sentence. Pray it anyway. Because psalms of thanksgiving put words to the deep things that are going on in our lives, the deep things that we cannot always talk about. So God sees us and he knows we struggle with this. He knows we struggle to put thank, uh, words to thankfulness in the middle of adversity. We can pray prayers like this. In verse 10, hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And you might even in your own prayers say this, put in extra words to kind of make it more make sense. You've said, there have been times when you've turned my wailing into dancing. There have been times when you removed my sackcloth and clothed me in joy. So my heart will sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. And as we close this morning, there's another group of people that I'd love to share with. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pete, you're talking about Jesus being part of our lives. And to be honest, I'm not sure if Jesus really is a part of my life. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online because you're searching, searching for truth, searching for meaning. You're not even really sure if God exists, but you're here because you're giving it a go and you're just seeing for yourself. I want to say that we're so glad that you've chosen to come and be here, whether online or in person. This is a safe place for you to explore faith and you might find that we disagree on a whole lot of things, but that's okay. We just are glad that you're here. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of every life and knocks. And to all who open up the door, he comes in and meets with them. You know, that is great news because you don't have to have anything except an open door. You don't have to have a perfect life. If you're picturing your house, your house doesn't have to be tidy. You can be cups everywhere. But all you need to have is an open door. You don't have to be holy or special or have it all together. You can just be you as you are right now, but with an open door to Jesus. And so we're going to have a prayer this morning as we close. With every head bowed and eye closed. And if that's you this morning, you just pray along with everybody else around you. A prayer where we say, Jesus, here's my life. I want you to come in and be a part of it. Before that, though, I want to tell you that God loves you so much as his own child. All of us have messed up and we've all made mistakes. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. 
Bible also says that the wages for that sin is death. That is eternal death, eternal separation from God. Because of God's heart as a good, good father, he would not have us live in that state of eternal death, but would extend his own hand to all who would accept it for themselves to be lifted up out of that place and into his own family, redeemed and forgiven to all who would accept Jesus. So we're going to pray this prayer out loud. And if that's you, you just pray along with everybody else around you. Dear Jesus, thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you paid the debt I was due for my sin. I turn from my old way of life and I turn to you. Come into my life and make me brand new today. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.